Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net. Or you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just head on over to patreon.greatdetectives.net. All right, well, now we're going to get into this week's episode of The Silent Men. And uh, contrary to what the date sounds like, there was not any lost episodes. It was just off the air for about a month. Uh, The original air date on this week's episode is March the 19th, 1952, and the title is Confess or Die. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. in The Silent Men. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks' production of The Silent Men. Transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. And now here is Douglas Fairbanks. The special agent lives with a constant threat of personal danger. Nor is death a stranger to his profession. In these troubled days of international insecurity, this danger is intensified. For there is practically no country in the world that does not play host to American federal agents on important missions. This story is about one of these agents. The details I obtained from a friend in Washington. In it, I assume the identity of Special Agent Dick Bosworth. A file case entitled... Confess or Die, in which only the names and places are fictional. Ben Cummings, one of the outstanding journalists of the American press, had been sent on a routine assignment to a middle European country. Following two news dispatches, he was not heard from and his whereabouts became a mystery. Ben and I had grown up together, and my concern for him was a real and personal thing. I had been badgering my chief for a chance to go over and locate him. For the third time this day, I knocked on his office door. Come in. Oh, back again? I just came back from talking to Ben's wife. It's pathetic. Expecting her first kid and no word from him. Well, what am I supposed to do about it? Press a button and wish him back at his fireside? State Department's doing everything possible to find him. Ben's wife thinks he's dead. She may be right. Well, not knowing makes it worse. Go on, let me go and locate him, will you? I don't know. You're too much involved in this. I'll forget the personal element. A lot of people are interested in knowing what happened to him. You'll have to send someone. No. Well, let's be logical, Chief. Who, who knows middle you're best in this office, huh? You do. Well, but we're not sending special agents into Iron Curtain countries. You know that. I'm not going as an agent. I have only one mission. To find a friend. I've been thinking about it. I won't say I haven't. Well, think a little harder and a little faster. (laughs) 
Yeah, I was mixed up in this, all right. Ben and I, kids together, three houses apart on an elm-treed street. Fishing together, hooky, football, then double dating, me and Ann, Ben and Rose. For a while, we didn't know for sure who was going to marry who. After my talk with the chief, I was useless around the office, so I paid another call on Ben's wife. Dick, you've heard something. I can tell it in your face. I haven't, Rose. You just don't want to tell me. You want me to sit down and make myself nice and comfortable with my knitting first. I haven't heard a thing. You're lying. I know you are. He's dead. What's the matter? Are you psychic or something? Call it psychic. Call it intuition. He's dead. Will you stop it, Rose? I told you we haven't heard. Then why did you come? You were here only an hour ago. Well, I thought with the time so close. No, no. You came to tell me something. Am I the young widow, Mrs. Cummings? What a pity they'll say such a cute child and no father. It isn't healthy for you to think like that. You've got to stop worrying. Is that what you came to tell me? No, I... I've got the chief thinking my way. He might send me to Europe to find Ben. Oh, Dick, has he said so? Not yet, but he will. I know the signs. But look, Rose, you've, you've got to help me with Anne. Anne? I, I didn't think of her. Uh, she'll be all right, but just stick together, the two of you, while I'm gone, will you? can't let you go. The same thing that happened to Ben might happen. Anne will be scared. But if you keep her busy... You're not going, I tell you. Listen, if I go, it'll be because I'm sent. Understand? It'll be another assignment. Dick, I won't let you do this for me. I won't be doing it for you. I'll be doing it for me. I started preparing Anne for a possible trip to Europe. She was frightened, but she didn't show it. Just the way she looked at me, long, silent looks, like each of them had to stick with her forever. A couple of days later, Chief Hogan sent for me. Sit down, Dick. Thanks. What are you studying, Chief? This is a book on philately. Know anything about it? Well, I wouldn't care to run across it in a spelling bee. Stamp collecting. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Should have known that. Why? You've got four days to learn to become a philatelist, an expert. Think you can do it? Well, it just depends what for. For a trip to the continent. For that, two days is plenty. You sending me? Yes. Well, why the stamp angle? Convention of philatelists in Europe on the 24th. Oh. Collectors from all over the world. Well, sounds all right to me. This is a tough one, Dick. I hate to send you on it. But you asked for it. I know. We've closed our consulate there. You'll have no recourse to any American government official. You'll be suspect as soon as you cross the border. Any contacts? Few. But only one you can get in touch with. A demi by the name of Olga. She shows up at the Basilica Cafe there. How will I know her? Yeah. Here's a picture of her. Wow. <laughs> I better not take this one home. <laughs> a little on the sultry side, eh? Tell me, how will I identify myself to her? Cigarette trick. Hand her an open pack of cigarettes. One cigarette a lot darker than the others. If she takes it and breaks it in half, she's your girl. When do I leave? Next Monday, five days. Okay. And remember, this is an assignment, nothing more. As soon as you have some definite news, good or bad, you'll leave the country. You understand? Yeah. An assignment, nothing more. No heroics, no revenge. You find out Ben's dead. Come home, quick. I spent the rest of the week studying stamps. Monday morning, I said goodbye to Anne. She wanted to come to the airport with me, but I wouldn't let her. 
She clung to me for a long time, and she said nothing about where I was going or what I was trying to do when I got there. At the airport, I was 20 minutes early. I got to a phone and called Rose. Hello? How are you feeling, Rose? All right. I thought you were going to leave without saying goodbye. I was going to. Change my mind. When are you leaving? Right away. Be careful. You feeling all right? I thought maybe... No, that... I've got about ten days to go. I'll tell Ben. Ben's dead. How many times do I have to tell you Ben's dead? Rose, listen to me. What? I'm sorry I called you. Awful sorry. Dick. Goodbye. I tried hard to stay objective about Ben, but it was a losing battle. I stayed in Paris a few days, then I moved on to my destination. At the border, the custom men gave me a good going over, but they let me through. The train rode like a broken-down Iowa cattle car. <laughs> the door to my compartment opened. I had company. A heavy-set man with sandy-colored hair. Yeah, you're rough ride, eh? Yeah, this will churn butter, all right. Churn butter. <laughs> that must be an American expression. You are... Yes, yeah, I'm an American. As if you didn't know. <laughs> I lived in America once. Los Angeles. You know that city? Yeah, sure. I had a coffee shop on Melrose. Oh, did you? I lived in the hills near Sunset. Ah. At night, a beautiful view. Beautiful. <clears throat> you are attending the stamp collector's convention. Yeah, how did you know? Uh, not many Americans are attending. But you will enjoy yourself. We will see to that. I'm sure. They've even assigned me a permanent escort. That is true. You are to be my responsibility. A rough tale, eh? Huh? What does that mean? A man who's been assigned to watch you with no attempt at concealment. Well, you should <laughs> be flattered that my government sees fit to assign you a guide. Mm, thanks. Now, you tell your government for me that I appreciate its concern, but there are times when a man must be alone. Well, at such times, I shall stay at a discreet distance, Mr. Boswell. <laughs> I see we need no introduction. Naturally not. We are well informed, my friend. I can see that. There is only one doubt in our minds. Your identity. I'm an American citizen, legally admitted to your country. Mm -hmm. Some question exists among my superiors, whether you are a stamp collector or a United States agent. A rough tale is the hardest kind of a shadow to endure. It's a wide-open cat-and-mouse game with a terrific psychological impact. He's with you all the time, and when you stop to talk to somebody, he follows immediately to find out what you said. And that's the way it was with Andrew, my escort. Two days had passed, and I'd been able to do nothing about Ben. I'd been several times to the little sidewalk restaurant, the Basilica Cafe, where I was to contact the girl whose picture I'd memorized so carefully. I'd seen her twice, but didn't dare make the contact. Finally, I saw my chance. Andrew was the usual 15 yards behind me as I approached the eating place. It was crowded. She was sitting alone at a table. I stood there for a moment, hesitating. Do sit down. But aren't you expecting someone? No, I'm expecting no one. Oh, thank you. Your friend uh, seems lost. Oh, he'll find a seat elsewhere. Yes, he has. About seven tables back. Where's the waiter? I'm hungry. Oh, this service is painfully slow. You are an American? Yes. Yeah. Last pack of American cigarettes. Would you care for one? 
Thank you very much. I will take one. Ah, here it is. I will break it in half so I will have two smokes out of it, all right? Very much so. Your friend is watching very carefully, but he cannot hear us. Who are you and what do you want? I want information about Ben Cummings, an American newspaper man who's disappeared. <laughs> Smart as if we were chatting gaily. <laughs> Cummings, the name is unfamiliar to me. He was last heard from a month ago. You brought money with you, American money? Yes. Good. Where are you staying? At the Burick. But my room is wired for sound. Yes, I'm sure it is. I've got to talk to him. We have nothing to talk about until I can get some information. When that time comes, I shall arrange to see you. I'm followed constantly. It can be arranged. But it will take much money. How much? One of the waiters will bring a lunch up to your room, which you have not ordered. Give him then a thousand American dollars. Mm, that's a lot of money. It will probably be much more by the time this is finished. Mm. Here comes your friend. I refuse to wait any longer. I'll go elsewhere. Good afternoon, Miss. Good afternoon. Then followed three days of bitter frustration. With Andrew at my heels, I was helpless. It was almost noon on the fourth day when there was a knock on my door. A waiter wheeled in some food I had not ordered. After a cautious exchange of words, I gave him the money for Olga. He slipped it into an inside pocket in his coat. From his hand, a printed piece of paper fluttered to the floor. Then he left. I picked it up. It was an advertisement about an old Charlie Chaplin movie playing in one of the theaters. Nothing more. Tests for hidden writing revealed nothing, so I took it to mean a meeting at the theater for this afternoon. After lunch, I went out. Andrew was waiting for me. Uh, a lovely afternoon. Perhaps a walk along the wharves would be... Well, I think it's a wonderful idea. For you. <laughs> then perhaps <laughs> the Royal Palace or the Parliament Building? No, thanks. What I'd really like is to see the Giants and the Dodgers play. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, I'll settle for a movie. There's a Charlie Chaplin picture in one of the theaters. Oh, I have seen it. It is wonderful. Mr. Chaplin is wonderful. My place in California was not far from his studio. Where is this theater? Uh, not far from here. Shall we go? By all means, my dear Andrew. Let's go. sound was scratchy and the translations nearly covered the screen, but the picture was still enjoyable. I kept waiting for some sign of a contact, but the box office wasn't doing much business that day, and there were only about a dozen people in the whole place. I sat through another half of the picture and nothing happened. I went back to my room. Andrew escorted me. You are retiring so early. Only nine o'clock. Oh, what an unexciting time you are having here. Uh, you would like, perhaps... No, no. I've got some reading to do and some letters to write. Oh. Good night. Uh, should you be wanting me, I will be downstairs in the lobby. Oh, that's one thing I'm sure of. <laughs> I walked into my room and flicked on the light. Shh. I spun around. It was Olga. She motioned me to say nothing. She walked across the room and turned the radio on. That will confuse the little ears in the walls. Mm, you know all the tricks, don't you? I have to know these things. It is my business and a very good one, too. I had my waiter friend admit me while you were gone. You were surprised. Very much so. And uh, delighted? Hmm. My wife should see this scene and I'd have a quick change of profession. <laughs> oh, you have a wife? Almost new. Two years. And you are probably one of those model American husbands we read about, but... Don't believe. <laughs> Probably. Look, let's get down to cases. What have you found out? Very much. 
They have made a good bargain with me. Quick, for Pete's sake, tell me. Just tell me, is he alive and well? He is alive. Good. But not very well. What do you mean? He's been arrested for espionage. Nonsense. He's a journalist, nothing more. They're trying to make him sign a confession. About what? This is ridiculous. He will sign it. Sometimes it takes longer, but they always get it. He will sign both of them. Both of them? An interesting man, this friend of yours. He is accused of taking money from both governments, mine and yours. The double cross, you call it? Ben, are you crazy? There is no use to disturb yourself. Where is he being held? In Rab, a little town 40 miles from here. I've got to get to him. I have arranged it. Good. Olga, you're a queen in this murky trade of yours. How? The payoff. I will need another thousand dollars. Then you can get to see him. You will be admitted into his room, and then you can talk to him. Thousand dollars? Prices have gone up, haven't they? It is the same all over. What about Andrew? You will have to give him the slip. When can I see him? Tomorrow night at the hour of 11, if you have the money. You're cleaning me out, but here it is. You will meet me tomorrow night at the Central Market, and I will drive you there. If you are not able to get rid of your follower, that will not be my fault. Now, if you don't mind... Say, Finney? Please. You are too resolute for one so handsome. All right. Go and take Andrew for a cup of coffee so that I can get out. I started bright and early the next morning testing my shadow. I led him a merry chase that day, changing cabs in front doors and out of back doors. I tried all the tricks and he was right with me. But towards early evening, I noticed that he was slowing down a great deal. (laughs) I guess he had too much weight to lug around with him. And in the end, I decided the best way I could shake him was to run for it when the time came. A wild idea had taken root in my mind, and after a quick supper, I stayed in my room studying maps. About eight o'clock, I went down to the lobby of the hotel. You are going out? Uh, I'm restless. Good brisk walk is what I need, I think. Mm, I thought after your activity this afternoon, you, you would be as tired as I am. Well, I'm leaving the day after tomorrow, and I wanted to take in everything I could. I haven't seen the wharves at night yet. You are going to walk both ways? Sure. Come on. Hmm. I led him at a fast pace to the downtown section with the queues of people lining up to get in to see the shows. I moved faster. At a busy corner, I took my big gamble and broke into a fast run. Andrew was behind me, but he was losing ground. I lost him and went into a theater near the Central Market where I was to meet Olga. At five minutes to nine, I went outside. I saw her sitting in a small car, waiting. Let's get going. I knew you would lose that fool. It wasn't too easy. This is an official car of some kind? Military police. A friend of mine. You have got friends, haven't you? I buy mine, that is all. What do I do when I get there? It's all very simple. He's being kept in our house. Two men are guarding him. They understand that you will be around tonight. I will wait outside. Do I have to identify myself? No, they will see me out of the window. Hmm. It is a good thing you came tonight. Tomorrow he will be moved to the big prison. Your friend may be executed. What? He signed the confessions, both of them. I don't believe it. You will see for yourself. Well, he'd rather die than admit he'd sold out. Nevertheless, he did sign them and he is still alive temporarily. Now they will make a big international incident out of it. 
You would be wise to get out of this country very quickly. After losing Andrew the way you did tonight, you will be in great danger. Yeah. How soon will we be there? Too soon. It took us nearly an hour to get to Rob. We stopped in front of an ordinary-looking brick house set well back from the main road. You'll wait here for me? Yes, but do not be too long. When Andrew reports in, they may think of coming here. Olga, have you got a gun? What do you want with a gun? Have you got one? Yes. Give it to me. What if they search you? Then I'll only have lost your gun. I'll pay you for it. A hundred dollars? Well, that'll leave me kind of short. Give me a hundred dollars and I will engage my friends, the guards, so they do not think of searching you. Let me mail you the money. No, I do what I do for money. I want it now, in cash. All right. Come up to the door with me. When I'm inside the house, you get back into the car and wait. No? You have something in mind? Nothing, nothing tangible. We'll see. Uh, it's you. Yes, my friend was nervous. He asked me to bring him to the door. Yes, risky business. Make it quick. Only ten minutes, no more. Go in, friend. Frederick will take you to his room. I go in, too. Certainly. Come on. Ben. He's surely one. Talk to no one. Ben. Look at me. It's me, Dick. Did they let her go, did they? Let who go? Rose, they said they'd let her go if I signed the papers. They had her upstairs, but they wouldn't let me see her. She screamed for me, but they wouldn't let me see her. Snap out of it, Ben. Rose is all right. I just saw her last week. She's fine. She called my name. Ben. Oh, Ben, she yelled, but they wouldn't let me to her. But she's all right now. I signed them, and it's all right. Did they tell you what you were signing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that I'd, I'd taken money from two different governments. Double dealing. Can you beat me doing a thing like that? Did you, Ben? Yeah. Yeah, they said I did. But did you? Sure. You didn't do it, Ben. Do you hear? You did not do it. They showed me the money. I did it. They talked you into it. Understand? They beat it into you. Rose will be all right now. That's the main thing. And the kid will be all right, too. Oh, my head. God, a drink of water. Please, this man's going to faint. I am no nurse, maid. Please, then let me go. No, no, I get it. I lock you in. Ben. Ben, you listening? Yeah. We're going to try and make a break for it. Get up on your feet. Where'll I go to? No one wants me. Sell out my own country. Keep quiet. You do everything I tell you. Can you walk? Not very good, not, not like I used to. When the guard brings the water, I'm going to stand behind the door. When it opens, I'll get him. Then we'll get away. There's a car waiting for I us. I've got no place to go, I tell you. What kid wants an old man? Shh, 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 shh. Here's your water. Come on. It's no use. Come on, I said. Hurry up. That's the stuff. Faster. Here's the car. I'll go. She's gone. Get in, Ben. Quick! According to the study of the maps I'd made earlier in the evening, it was about 70 miles to the border. I'd pushed that little car for all she had in her. In about an hour and a half, the lights of the little border village came into view. I ran the car into a clump of bushes and parked her there. 
What are we going to do now? Try and cross the border. Oh, we'll never make it. We'll try and make it over some of these open fields. Come on. Hey, you shouldn't have bothered with me. They'll get us and you'll be in a jam, too. Get down. Those lights may catch us. All right, let's go again. I can't do it. My legs, they, they don't want to hold me up. Well, lean on me. It's only a little way. Oh, you go on without me. Put your arm around my waist. That's it. You sure you saw Rose before you left her? Yeah, yeah. They said she was upstairs and she kept crying for me. There's another car. We'll have to get down. All right. But I won't be able to get up on my feet again. The car stopped. Someone's coming this way. Crawl behind these bushes. Come on. Get away yourself, Dick. You can do it. No. Coming here. He found the car in the bushes. Looks bad. You get going. I'll hold him off. No, no. It's only one guy. The, the others are staying in the car. Is he coming this way? Yeah. Sit tight. Got your gun. Yeah. No bullets. I jinxed you, Dickie. Mr. Boswell. Mr. Cummings. Will you please come out from behind those bushes? Quickly. Not so fast, Andrew. I've got a gun on you. A gun without bullets. How's he know that? Make it quick. It's for your own benefit. I can imagine. He's got us, Ben. We're coming out, Andrew. Walk in front of me, please. We're not going back to the highway? No. Turn off here. You were very foolish to think you could cross through those fields. The border has been alerted. They're waiting for you. How did you know my gun had no bullets? Olga, she has a good head for business. A frame bought and sold us, eh? I think that's what you call it. They hope to catch the two of you at the border. So she made all the arrangements with the necessary authorities. The visit, the escape. It would have made good ammunition for the propaganda machine. Would have? We stop here. Where are we, Andrew? We are past the border. You're safe now. I don't get it. This is the only place you could have crossed. Andrew? Yes. These two friends are lost. They must get to Vienna, to the American zone. We will do our best. For the benefit of my friends in the car... Now they will think you are dead. He's helping us to get away. You have more help here than you think. There is a movement. Tell your officials. There is a movement. It's enough to make me feel my strength coming back. I wish I knew how to express our thanks. There is no time. I must go back and join in the frantic search for you. And when you see Olga, tell her that I'll be back someday with an itemized statement. <laughs> The rest was anticlimactic. We were taken through devious routes to our own zone in Europe. In Paris, we rested a few days and flew home just in time to meet Rose and her new baby when they came home from the hospital. Careful how you handle him, honey. His head's to a... Look out, you'll drop him. Here, you big lug, you take him. Me? <laughs> Nothing doing. I don't touch him till he looks human. All right, then keep quiet. I'll put him down on the couch for a minute. I'll keep an eye on him. He's kind of ugly, isn't he? Ben. Well, I can say it. You said yourself he looks like me. <laughs> I'd better take off. Ann's waiting for me. Oh, before you go, Dick. Yeah? 
something for you. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for everything. Hey, what's that for? Well, that's for proving that Rose was psychic. When you were away, she... Please, Dick. She kept saying all the time that you were all right. She knew it. Womanly intuition. <laughs> oh, Dick. Psychic, huh? Well, maybe she can tell by looking at the kid what's wrong with him. This is Douglas Fairbanks again. The safe return of the American newspaper man closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government, who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we will tell you a story involving the desperate attempts of the enemy to rearm at American expense in the file case entitled Murder in Vienna, another venture undertaken for our protection by... The Silent Men. The Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's case was written by Lewis and Russoff and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Featured in tonight's cast were Bill Johnstone, Vivi Janis, Shepard Mencken, Joan Banks, and Stan Waxman. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Douglas Fairbanks is currently presenting Betty Davis, Gary Merrill, and Emlyn Williams in the motion picture, Another Man's Poison. Listen again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men. Our thanks to American Magazine for this month voting the silent men the top family adventure program on the air. Sometime this month, a neighbor will ask you to give a wounded soldier life through blood. Give food and shelter to victims of fire, flood, disaster. That neighbor, the Red Cross Fund Drive volunteer, asks you to give all you can. You are the Red Cross. Give now. Robert Montgomery presents a Citizen Views the News next on NBC. Well, an interesting turnabout where your contact tries to turn you into the government and the person from the government who's been pursuing you turns out to be on your side. But I guess such is the uh, murky world of international espionage. I did find it a bit weird that our character uh, did not actually do any of, you know, I don't recall your mentioning of him doing any of the stamp collecting activities which seems like it wouldn't have been great for his cover we have heard uh, uh, there have been quite a few stories uh, that you do in here, here in radio similar to this highlighting some of the brainwashing techniques and the ability to uh, break people down uh, by communist governments uh, we've heard episodes of it on mr moto and uh, we also heard it on uh, an episode of the uh, series we did for Amazing World of Radio last uh, summer, Top Secret. Now, I did go ahead, and with the gap in the amount of time uh, between the uh, last week's and this week's, I kind of checked to see what was going on with Douglas Fairbanks uh, on newspapers.com. And it turns out that there was quite a bit. He did have a few matters that was related to his late father's estate. 
First, his father's ranch was being sold, Rancho Zorro, with the proceeds split between him and his stepmother, who was in the middle of an acrimonious divorce with Clark Gable. Fairbanks had also commissioned the writer of How Green Is My Valley to help with the re-release of his dad's picture, The Iron Mask. The Iron Mask was... A kind of a part talkie is what uh, it's referred to because it was mostly a silent film, but there's a little bit of a soundtrack and a couple of speeches by the elder Fairbanks. And they would end up doing some uh, re-editing on this film for the 1952 re-release. They would re-edit a couple of sequences and they would remove the title cards uh, in between scenes and add uh, linking narration, which was done by the younger Fairbanks. And they, uh, during this period, uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. commissioned the writer of How Green Was My Valley to go ahead and write this uh, linking narration. And at the same time, he was also getting ready to work on producing a television program. Hedda Hopper actually had a column Uh, On this March 18th, uh, it was one item in there. Douglas Fairbanks left town, Hollywood, over the weekend with more film plans than one could get in a briefcase. After New York, his first stop will be England, where he will confer with his associate, Alexander McDonald, on their projected TV series that will draw on both worldwide talent as well as international literature for material. He'll also arrange for the financing of Elephant Walk. Okay, well, on that paragraph, the the TV series, and there were other columns out at the time that said what this was, it was Terry and the Pirates. Uh, To call Terry and the Pirates international literature is an interesting choice of words, but this is type of the type of puffing that, you know, you would see, you know, the sort of gossip columnists do. Uh, during this period. Uh, Elephant Walk uh, was a film that got made. When I checked IMDb, Fairbanks' uh, name wasn't on it. Sometimes it doesn't capture every name associated with the film. I assume he would have been something like a producer. But the film was generally not uh, very well regarded. So he may have withdrawn his official uh, involvement. I'm not certain on that point. Hedda Hopper continues... Uh, From London, Doug proceeds to Paris to star in a television film, A Lodging for the Night, based on the Robert Louis Stevenson story about Francois Vienne. Then he'll go to Zurich to discuss making an English version of a film that's already been done in French and German. I'm afraid to name the title, said he, because the property is so hot somebody else may beat me to it. Uh, Doug next hops to Constantinople to confer uh, with Turkish efforts on filming one of the Harold Lamb stories. Uh, Ceylon will hear scout locations uh, and clear the way with the government representatives for shooting Elephant Walk. And there was also another TV anthology series that he was planning on doing. It was three episodes, and I can't find any uh, evidence of this. Um, And I couldn't find any evidence of these other projects them actually materializing. Though, then again, uh, 
the way that Hedda could write some Hedda Hopper could write some of these columns, I don't know if I would recognize the real version. All of that to say Douglas Fairbanks Jr. was a really busy man. And the type of schedule she described makes me think that he probably recorded several episodes of The Silent Men ahead of time. This would not be as uncommon of a practice as it would have been earlier in the golden age of radio. When you get to the uh, Yours Truly Johnny Dollar with uh, Bob Bailey, Jack Johnstone made it a practice to record three weeks ahead. That way, if uh, the star was sick or somebody who absolutely had to be in it was, you know, just not able to make it, you could just take a week off and reschedule and you'd be fine. With the itinerary described by Hedda Hopper, I kind of wonder whether uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. went ahead and recorded the rest of the series, uh, which would run through early June, and if this is in mid-March, which would be a lot to record. But this was definitely a situation where Fairbanks wanted to do the series, because, you know, from, you know, in his personal life, and his professional life, he had a lot going on, a lot of irons in the fire. And it could have been a situation quite easily where he just, you know, stepped away from the series and said, you know, we don't have time to do this. That was something Glenn Ford did a couple of years earlier when he was uh, working on Christopher London. He just you know, wanted to uh, focus on his film career. But I think Fairbanks definitely had a passion for the subject matter and the type of stories being told. Even though, uh, you know, working in radio did not pay a whole lot in 1952. And certainly it was the caliber of star that NBC would want to work with and would have to be happy to work around whatever he needed. If he needed to record, you know, six or eight weeks in advance and then send out transcription discs, that was kind of the way it would have to be. All right, well, I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Bob, Patreon supporter since August of 2016, currently supporting us at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Well, that will do it for today. If you have been uh, enjoying this podcast, be sure and rate it wherever you get your podcasts from. And also uh, leave a review. Uh, join us back here tomorrow for Public Domain Video Theater and an episode of Federal Men. And then uh, we'll be back on Monday with Casey Crown Photographer. And next Saturday, another episode of The Silent Men. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.